Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guests, and I'm really glad to have these two women on the podcast, just people sometimes ask what they can do to support this podcast, and you can't donate, um, but you can go to Apple and leave a review, and that's the thing that I read. I read those reviews. Um, it helps other people connect with the podcast, so if you feel so inspired, you can do that. Many of you have done that. We have over 750 ratings and many written reviews, and both of those help. Uh, my guests on today's podcast, um, first is Bethany Spaulding, joining us from Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the podcast, Bethany. Thanks, such good to be here. And we have MacArthur Krishna um, joining us from the Portland, Oregon area. Welcome to the podcast, MacArthur. It's always nice to be here. Uh, MacArthur joined us on episode 641 um, with two other wonderful women talking about the book Cherish. And um, both of these women have written many books in the LDS space. I think we figured out before we went live that Bethany and MacArthur have written seven books together. And we're going to talk about their latest book on the podcast. MacArthur has also written a bunch of other books, maybe 10 others. And I, to be honest, listeners, I haven't been aware of um, LDS women authors as much as I should have. And I probably read... Well, I'd probably read more men LDS authors, and I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing, but as I'm getting older, I'm trying to listen to voices that I don't traditionally listen to, and it helps me to be, do what I can do to help create Zion and and the things that I can learn from other voices. And these are two, I hope I use the right vocabulary. I don't want to come off as a chauvinist or inappropriate, but these are two really capable, bright, um, educated, thoughtful women we're creating content, not just for women, but for men and for families. And um, I'm just deeply moved by the work that they're doing. And it's a lot of their works at Desert Book. Um, and so it's very church affirming, church supportive. Um, will you, um, I'll, I'll let either of you just tell us the name of your latest book that we're going to talk about on the podcast and um, where people can get it. Sure. Well, thank you so much for welcoming us on your podcast, Richard. You've created such a special community and you do such an important, vital work of amplifying voices. And we're really honored to share our insights and our writing journey and some of the um, books we've been able to create. And today we'd love to tell you about our latest one that's entitled In the Image of Our Heavenly Parents, A Couple's Guide to Creating a More Divine Marriage. And um, you can get it right now on our website, D Street press.com and uh shortly you'll be able to and that will be an ebook right now um but because so many people couples have been using this and and using it as an ebook they've really wanted to have a hard copy too so in the next few weeks we hope it will be available on amazon in a, a woman came up to me and said every person getting married needs this book how do i get a hard copy to gift to all the people i know getting married and so we listen to the people <laughs> And there we go. We've got all your your wedding gifts solved with this book. Um, <laughs> but you know, marriage is a fascinating, intriguing concept. Right? I mean, the, like love and intimacy and marriage is probably you know it's just as on so many of the world inhabitants' heart. And um, I love this quote by Spencer W. Kimball, where he said, "Marriage can be more an exultant ecstasy than the human mind can conceive. This is within the reach of every couple, every person." 
right? I mean, we don't usually hear the prof- prophets talking about exultant ecstasy, but I was like, wow, you go, President Kimball. Um, and, you know, McCarthy and I both waited for a long time for marriage. Both of us weren't, in, uh, you know, well into our 30s before we found our partners. And um, we were so excited to get married, but then we also realized that it's really, really hard. We were so excited for it, but it is the most challenging just demanding work of of our lives and um and so we were excited about creating a tool to help uh couples learn how to partner and create divine marriages and um i want to just a little bit of background on that is that um i think it's so beautiful in the church that we talk so much about god and we talk so much about marriage and family but rarely do we combine those all and really stop and reflect and recognize that we worship as latter-day saints a married god that our theology teaches that God is a heavenly father and a heavenly mother bound and united and sealed and, and partnering. And that's what Godhood is. It is the essence of partnership. Um, and so we, we um, have wanted to create a, a guidebook to help couples learn how to partner better, to, to be more in the image of our heavenly parents. And um, I really like this concept of divine marriage. Um, you know, I, as a, as a Latter-day Saint, many people might be familiar with um, Richard and Linda Iyer, who are really marriage experts. And um, they talk about different phases of marriage. And then they talk about like the first phase of marriage was traditional marriage, where there was a lot of commitment, but there wasn't always a lot of freedom and support and partnership and equality in marriages. And that left a lot of people wanting. Um, and that dissatisfaction led to a second phase of maybe more we call modern marriage. And that was a rejection of that traditional marriage model. Um, and these marriages had more freedom, but they also had a, a great deal of self-indulgence and entitlement and um, not as much commitment. Um, but we're really excited that Richard IR feels like, and we agree that we are moving into the third phase of marriage, um, which we like to call divine marriage. And that combines the best of both previous phases of the, the commitment and the, like the covenants of the traditional marriage, but also the freedom and equality and partnership of, of modern marriage. And, um, this is so exciting that we feel like we're really on this trajectory of creating more beautiful, powerful, mutually empowering um, divine marriages. So that's my introduction in a nutshell. And then I'll turn it over to MacArthur to share some insights too. Well, we should back up half a second to talk about um, who this book is for. And so um, Bethy and I give a lot of firesides about Mother in Heaven. When Elder Renlin said, this is our doctrine, the gospel topics essay, this is what we know. We are super excited because we like having a um, jumping off place to say, here's what we know. Let's celebrate this. But as Latter-day Saints, we are doers of the word and not just hearers. So we're running around. We're giving firesides on this topic because it's joyous and something we should all be celebrating. And people begin to say, well, what do I do with this topic? I mean, if we just talk about tithing and we never pay our tithing, we're not actually living the principle. So we began to think about how do we live the principles of the Gospel Topics essay on Heavenly Mother? And obviously, a lot of the, maybe not obviously if you haven't read it, but um, the Gospel Topics essay has a lot of information both about not just Heavenly Mother, but also how Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father work in partnership. And so Bethany and I were super interested in this. We thought, wow, what else do we know about how Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother work together? What else do we know about this concept of a divine marriage? And we start to dig in and do the research. And it's getting more and more exciting. And we're realizing that we've got a book, you know, pulling together on this. And then we literally hit a wall. And we kind of looked at each other and said, wait a second, we don't want to cause any more pain 
for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And so I called a friend, Tom Christofferson. I said, Tom, <laughs> what do we do? Like, we're super excited about this topic. We feel like it's really important. Um, but what do we do? And um, Tom actually, as always, is so um, Christ-centered and wise. And he said, you know, my parents' marriage between a man and a woman was extremely important and productive in, in my life. And not every book is for every person. And I thought that was super helpful. Um, I also talked to a person who is near and dear to me, a woman who is married to a woman. And I said, what do you think about this? And she started laughing, actually, and said, you know what? Of all the challenges that my marriage faces, we don't have a lot of built-in roles. So we're not wrestling through a lot of the same things that your marriage wrestles through with. You know, marriages that are made of men and women are influenced by thousands of years of expectations about who men and women can be and what that marriage looks like. That that's, can be a heavy um, it can be a heavy burden, or it can also be kind of like you don't even realize it's the air you're breathing. And so um, she said, "That's that's not my that's not my challenge." So Bethany and I felt like we should go ahead. We prayed about it, considered it, and truly felt um, that this book would be a vital resource for anyone who's interested in creating a more divine marriage. And the concept of living in partnership and functioning in partnership is actually true not just in marriage. So while these are aimed towards kind of a marital situation, the principles are true for everyone. And so when we talk about um, men and women working together, the Gospel Topics essay talks about Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother work together. And so I think that it's um, with that idea in mind and fully realizing that Bethany and I are not uh, experts on family uh, systems, we partnered with four different LDS therapists and we said, talk to us about this topic. Talk to us about what does it look like to have the most healthiest marriage you can imagine. And invariably, these four therapists said, you have to have a partnership. If you don't have a partnership, then this marriage can't thrive. Individuals can't thrive and the partnership can't thrive. So the structure of the book is that we took on um, 12 different aspects of making a more divine marriage, of making a partnership. Each of the therapists um, wrote their expertise. Each of the four therapists wrote three different pieces of expertise. And then Bethany and I did the doctrinal foundations, right? We collected the information and the ideas about why the principle we're talking about, one of the 12 principles is, um, is instruction that we received from God. And what we wanted to have at the end of this is something really productive, right? We wanted to have something really useful because again, we're all super busy and I love reading things just for the sheer joy of reading. And the sheer joy of learning, but there's also in my mind we got we got to learn stuff. We got stuff to do here, and so um, we hope that this is something that will be actually really useful. Yep. And so at the end of each section or each principle has actual practices for the therapist um, designed. So you don't just like MacArthur said, but you reflect and then you dive in and you you do the work of learning how to apply this principle in your own marriage, um, and all. Can I just, um, I want to make sure we give credit to these amazing four therapists who are just real luminaries in this space of marriage and family in Latter-day Saint world. Um, they, we, um, I was lucky enough when I was a newlywed to be in a ward in Chicago and Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife was my Sunday school teacher. And wow, wow. I've, I've always liked going to church, but when you, when you get to have a marriage therapist as your Sunday school teacher, then church becomes even better, right? And um, to go and to have a class each week where we were 
learning how to, to, um, you know, refine and develop and cultivate really healthy partnerships was just life-changing for my husband and I. Um, so Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, Dr. Julie Hanks, who has done a whole PhD in partnerships, marriages, and really helped us with this framework of these 12 principles. Also Dr. Ty Mansfield and Jeff Stewart um, and his wife, Jody Stewart. It was so fun um, in modeling this concept of partnership they actually uh, created and wrote their their chapters together. And we, we love that, that they were actually uh, modeling to us what we're all aspiring to do as a um, partner in our work. Um, so yeah, so we have these four great therapists. And like MacArthur said, we'd have this 12 principles. I'd actually love to read them to you because they're so, Please. Um, even for your listeners to um, just think about them. Um, and, you know, we realize that probably all of us, we do some things well in our partnerships. And we all have weak points. Um, and I'll, I can tell you both in my marriage. I'll, I'll tell you the weak ones uh, that I'm working <laughs> on. This book has helped my own marriage. But um, number one, so these are 12 principles for creating a more divine marriage. Number one, we co-create a mutually empowering vision for our partnership. Number two, we celebrate the strengths in each partner. Number three, we invest in growth, our own personal growth, the growth of our partner, and our growth as a couple. Four, we share spiritual stewardship of our family. Number five, we collaborate on leadership and decision-making. Number six, we nurture and provide together. Number seven, we honor all contributions as equally valuable. Number eight, we access and utilize family resources equitably. Number nine, we address problems and resolve conflict respectfully. Okay, I'll stop and say, that's my problem. That's my husband and I. That's our weak point right there. We're, um, we're good on a lot of things, but ooh, resolving conflict respectfully. That's, ooh, that's a tough one for us. Um, we're learning though. Number 10, we prioritize fun and friendship in our partnership. Number 11, we create mutual physical pleasure and nurturance. And 12, we find joy in the divine pattern of our heavenly parents. And really, um, you know, we, we should have even started with this, but um, so much of this book was created um, in the Gospel Topics essay on Heavenly Mother. Elder Oaks is quoted, and he says, Our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. And I really, really value that um, idea is that all of us as children of God, we are aspiring to become like our heavenly parents. That's our highest aspiration. And what does it mean to be like them? To me, it means that we have to learn how to partner and love and forgive and work and bond and play and pray and do all those things together. Not just, you know, it's easy to work on just ourselves as individuals, but if we're, we're aspiring to be like our heavenly parents, we have to spend a lifetime building our partnership capacities. My husband always says that everyone used to tell him that he was such a perfectly sorted person until he married me right? And then once you're like, once you're in it, you know, once you're, you're in the trenches and you're in the joy, you're in the, what, what President Kevin called the exultant ecstasy. Once you're in the exultant ecstasy, it gives you all sorts of opportunities to learn and grow. And I think that that is, in many ways, I think that is the point of living in partnership, living in this union is because we're trying to become united. And as Bethany mentioned, both of us didn't get married till later. So we had a lot of extra years to practice becoming our own beings. 
And we got good at that. <laughs> but then when you're asked to come, to, and so maybe someone else wrestles with even first forming their own being, right? Because Bethany and I had that step down by the time we got married. But you each, as a husband and wife, as an equal partner, you're supposed to come to this place as your own being. And then you're supposed to find a way to meld together as a united being. And I actually love, I think it's Khalil Gibran that talks about that it's almost two pillars. So I, I should backtrack. You shouldn't say meld together into one being. You're each your own being, but it's two pillars who are supporting this family and this structure and this unity together. So you're still your own distinct being. You're still your own likes and personalities and wishes and dreams, but you're functioning with this united purpose, which follows the theology of our heavenly parents. We know, we know we have a heavenly mother. We know we have a heavenly father who are functioning as distinct beings who are united, working together is the phrase that the gospel topics essays, working together for the salvation of their family. And so I think that that practice of coming together and learning how to be distinct and function as one is where the, um, the pressure becomes in figuring out how to, how to do that. Mm-hmm. And it is a practice. Sure. And I think it's interesting, you know, um, MacArthur and I both, grew, we're, we're old, we're, we're almost 50. So we grew up, uh, you're young. parents, you're right. We have a lot of life ahead of us for sure. But we grew up with parents um, as they were forming their marriages and building their families. You know, they, we were taught kind of this, um, the head of households or the president and vice president. And that was language of the families that we were raised in. And, um, you know, as MacArthur and I were coming of age, right when we were about 21, the proclamation of the family came out. And this was an interesting of different ideas. It talks about we're created in the image of our heavenly parents. We're all children of our heavenly parents in the image of God. And then it also introduced this, which at the time was quite radical, this this mandate to have equal partnerships as marriage. And that really oh. changed and shifted our thinking about, um, you know, maybe we've been living in a less than ideal and, you know, false fallen model of kind of headship and hierarchy. And um, we were being introduced as what's a beautiful thing about being part of an ongoing restoration. We were being introduced to a more divine model of marriage. And that was collaborative partnership. And um, I have you know, to say, Bethany, I was, my parents actually 100% raised me in that model, like would sit down and have a family council. Your father is the president, my mother would say, I'm the vice president, you guys are the board of directors. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was fascinating because they were doing this because that's what they'd been taught, right? This was the righteous way to set up a family. And so I love that when the proclamation to the family came out and it said husbands mm-hmm. and wives are co-equals, I mean, I was I was out of the house by them, but I watched my parents listen to the prophet. I watched them listen to the church and change their behavior. So here's a marriage that's already been existed for decades. <laughs> and they sat down and said, you know what? We have now learned more and we have learned a higher principle. We're being called to change what this looks like. And I've really seen them over the last, you know, again, now decades shift this model. And so I want to say like, this book is not just for newlyweds, right? I think all of us, whatever stage our marriage is at, there's ways that we can make a a more robust and a more healthy and a more divine marriage. But I think it's also, we have to understand that where were you coming from? Even if we were doing it because we were doing our best, you know, to follow previous guidance that now that has been updated. And if you want to have a divine marriage, then the most current prophetic words on this are all about equality between husbands and wives. Even in, in MacArthur's parents are very cool. I can attest to that. They are, yes, they are some of my favorite people. 
Maybe I even might. I, but no, I won't say that I like them more than MacArthur, but they are very fun. <laughs> <laughs> I would not um, be. <laughs> no, they are great. And, um, but, you know, even in the um, in general conference recently, when Elder Ulysses Soares spoke, um, he reiterated this gospel truth. He said, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims the principle of full partnership between woman and man, both in mortal life and in the eternities. You know, that, that's very clear. Like full partnership is what we need to practice here on earth because it is it is the divine model for the eternities. Um, and, you know, and even though we were introduced to that three years ago and, you know, we are shifting and we are growing and we are, um, I think, living up to this higher principle, I think all of us, including myself, we still struggle and still um, sometimes labor and live and love under a fallen model. Um, you know, as I've thought about marriage a lot, I, um, as I've been married, I've lived in many different communities around the United States and even different countries. And I've met a lot of LDS couples. Um, and oftentimes we've been in cities where couples come, young newlyweds come to graduate school, where um, in DC, lots of couples came to law school. In Chicago, lots of couples came to business school. In Richmond, um, couples come from medical school and dental school. And I say couples, but almost always it's been the husband who's doing this, the graduate work, which is fantastic. But when I've met these couples and asked the wives, you know, what do you care about? What do you do? What, what, what season of life are you in? Or how are you growing or thriving? Um, it mostly catches them off guard and they're not quite sure what to say. And, um, you know, it just has made me realize that as Latter-day Saints, culturally, sometimes we prioritize and invest in male development and growth and not as much in the growth of, of women or wives. And, um, you know, that's problematic. Like I've seen couples and, and women like who feel, you know, frustrated or resentful or lost or forgotten or neglected. And that's not what we want for our latter saint couples. That's not what our heavenly parents want for us. Um, and so that's one of my favorite parts about this book. One of the most favorite principles um, is just that we invest in growth, our own personal the growth of our partner and our growth as a couple. And so even if we are having to, for different seasons of life, have different roles or different opportunities or different you know, seasons, um, it's just so important that each partner, each person in a partnership um, is making sure that they are growing and developing, expanding as a child of God. That's a great yeah. segment. Keep sharing thoughts that are on your mind. This is just great. <laughs> Oh, and feel free to ask a question. My goodness, we can talk without stopping. So please, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts so far, Richard? I'd love to know what you think. Well, my first thought I wrote down is the confidence you talk about Heavenly Mother and the doctrine we have about Heavenly Parents and your understanding of the Gospel Topic Essays. And in my circle, sometimes when this is discussed, it's people are kind of a little hesitant to talk about Heavenly Mother, and they know that we kind of have some boundaries on what we can and can't talk about. And that's the first thing. And that happened before with you with the other podcast, MacArthur, is you are completely comfortable talking about Heavenly Mother because you understand our doctrine. You understand what Elder Renlund taught. You understand what's in the gospel topic essays. So you aren't going rogue um, talking about Heavenly Mother. And I think we're cautious culturally about some of these more tender subjects. So we sometimes don't say anything about Heavenly Mother. Well, that's and- what I was about to say. Once you know you're rooted in the gospel, so Elder Renlund, 
very publicly. I mean, how, how, you can't be more public than the church's website and general conference, right? So very publicly in those two places, we have the church, gospel topics essay that's labeled our doctrine and Elder Renland speaking at general conference saying, this is our doctrine. So if someone's hesitant to speak about this, those are it's very abundantly clear we're allowed to speak of it. An apostle has spoken of this across the pulpit. And then once you root yourself in that doctrine and you have read that doctrine, then whatever is in that in that gospel topics essay is our doctrine. So you can have absolute confidence in speaking to whatever aspect uh, aligns with that. And so I'm yes, I'm very comfortable with it because I've learned the doctrine. And um I'm remembering now sitting in I'm a temple worker and I we have a prayer before as all temple workers, we meet the men and the women. So I'm in temple prep meeting. Well, temple ordinance worker prep meeting with, it's great. You know, there's probably 60 men. I'm one of the younger in my early sixties. And, and, um, I, the, the, or the guy in charge, this is, sorry, this is coming out slow listeners, um, asked the guy next to me to pray. And, said a good prayer, but I thought, what would I say if I were asked a prayer? And the thought came to my mind. um, These are the words. I said, Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful we have a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother. And I thought, I got nervous to uh, to Mm -hmm. say that. I thought, what will people think of me um, using Heavenly Mother in a prayer? (laughs) And that's just, and I, but then I hear you two talk about um, this and it makes me want to do better as a man, not just put this on the shoulders of women to talk about Heavenly Mother, but what I can do as a male. Um, and that was an impression I had. Well, how would that work? And it, you know, doctrinally, what I said would have been fine. It's not going rogue, but I felt anxious. Um, mm. and so I think I, for men, I'm, we I'm need so... to live with the uncomfortableness of getting used, just like these two women are. It's on us as men to. Um, we've got to do what we can do to create equality, the, the very doctrine that both of these women are talking about. So anyway, I'm that's so, that's a thought. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you invited men to, to join us in using language that reflects our restored theology of God, right? And that our beautiful, really special um, knowledge of, of heavenly parents. And um, so thanks for that invitation. And I, it made me think of, a, I wanted to share a quick story with you that, you know, you were in the temple when you were having that thoughts. And um, here in Richmond, Virginia, we just had a really remarkable open house of our new temple here. And just on Sunday, it was dedicated and Elder Oaks was here. And it was, um, it's been a, a just a really, really special time in my community. And um, I work, I'm the Just Serve Specialist at my ward. And so I partner with a lot of nonprofits as our missionaries and members um, do community outreach and volunteer and do service. And um, because of the generosity of our ward and stake, so many nonprofit leaders wanted to come and see the temple when it was open. And um, I, I took, I, I work in the nonprofit sector and I took um, actually my previous boss on a tour. And of course she knows about my writing and um, I was separated for at the time. Previous she, boss is not a member of our faith. Yes, yes, thank you. And um, she, we were separated, so I wasn't with her on the tour at this moment, but she was really touched by the beauty of the temple. And um, she said to her tour guide, she said, um, one of my favorite things about Latter-day Saints is your knowledge of Heavenly Mother. And that's so powerful and so beautiful to me. Um, you know, could you show me where in the temple I could find Heavenly Mother? And the temple worker got really disoriented and flustered and, like you said, like a little nervous or um, unsure and she told my friend, um, my colleague, um, oh, do you know, 
Heavenly Mother is so sacred, we can't talk about her. <laughs> um, to which my, my boss said to her, I thought you've just explained to me that this, you consider the temple to be the most sacred place on earth. And, and you still don't talk about her here? You know, and it, it was just kind of this very glaring reminder of, we should be able to talk our, about our sacred knowledge in our sacred places. Um, and just as the temple is about family and ceilings and bindings and generations and eternities, like, you know, it's a beautiful place for a mother as part of that process, right? And, and I think um, to me, as it's so important um, to include Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Parents in our conversations because I think that does impact our marriages. If we're only talking about one of the partners, that does, you know, unspokenly emphasize kind of the more important uh, that one partner is more important. Does that make sense? Yes. And um, that if we if we really if we really believe that couples will thrive if they can work together as equal partners, then we need the model of heavenly parents, and we so we need to speak more openly about heavenly mother and about heavenly parents as our ideal that we're all striving for. That's a great example. Yeah. Uh, the other thought and that so came people to... people frequently ask us... Oh, sorry, Richard, do you want to... No, go for people it, People frequently say to us, we don't know that much about Heavenly Parents. We don't... Like, how, how, could, you, how could you write about this or think about this? And it's amazing what a keyword search on the church's website can pull up. And so if you go in and say heavenly parents, right, then we have got dozens upon dozens quotes about who our heavenly parents are and how they function together. So we don't have a video on this uh, podcast, but Bethy and I in our book wrote the doctrinal foundation for this guidebook. And we had to pick just one, two, three, four, five, six, about 15 quotes that we even just included in the beginning of the book. And then the beginning of every chapter in the book, again, has quotes about marriage and heavenly parents. And so from our standpoint, if someone says, there's not much out there, we don't really know a lot, um, there's a lot to read. There's a lot on the church's website. I'm just like, anywhere else on the church's website, there's a lot to read. There's a lot to learn. Um, yeah, I love that. And I, I, I do come back to men a little bit because I think most of the authors are women in this space and maybe most of the quotes because they come from general conference are male speakers. So sort of that tends to be men because they probably have the most chance to speak. Um, but I do feel responsibility for us fellow men to talk about heavenly mother. And if we're serious about equality and elevating other voices and modeling that, I think that's important that this isn't just women. I think men quoting women is a really good thing <laughs> and talking about heavenly mother and elevating voices because it models equality that I think is important in our families and in our church circles. Absolutely. Um, well, the gospel topics essay talks about the divine pattern established um, as children of heavenly parents. And what's interesting to me about that is if you've ever been an architect or an engineer or tried to build something, if you only have half the pattern, you can't build very effectively. So if we only are talking about Heavenly Father and not including Heavenly Mother, how do you effectively build a family, right? You need that model if you're going to build the most robust, most um, eternally flourishing uh, entity. 
so true. And I agree with you, Richard, that including Heavenly Mother more in our conversations um, does so much to give couples a model. It also, I think, really enhances women's spiritual strength. You know, it, it, Heavenly Mother is our eternal destiny, right? That is what we are becoming. You know, in a church that emphasizes the importance of gender, like we eternal need to know <laughs> and eternal progression, we need to know what we are becoming, right? Um, we aren't becoming Heavenly Father. We as women are becoming like Heavenly Mother. And um, I, uh, I wanted to share just another story, if you don't mind. Is that okay? I, one Please, more story? go for um, it. Uh, from another principle of our book of um, we share spiritual stewardship of our family. And I think, um, you know, kind of in a false or less than ideal model, we've um, people have been taught that a man should have a spiritual stewardship over his family and that kind of a man's inspiration for the family is most important. And um, my family in the last few months went through a really difficult and scary time where our daughter, our youngest, we have three girls and our youngest was diagnosed with a brain malformation. And um, it all came on very suddenly. And we found out that she needed to go into surgery quite, quite urgently. And um, uh, we had to make some big decisions very, very quickly. And um, my husband had one impression on how to move forward. And I had a very different impression on the timing and how we should move forward. And um, I was just so grateful that we have this divine model of we share in our spiritual stewardship of our family, that we just shouldn't default to his perspective, but that we should also very much listen to mine and and listen and learn and collaborate and come together to a decision that was going to have a tremendous impact on our family. And um, I was grateful for that model. And we, after a lot of fasting and prayer, like decided to kind of move forward with the inspiration that I had received. And um, without going into all the details, but just the timing of the surgery, the surgeon, all of the pieces came together that um, she had this life-saving surgery um, and we're so, so grateful. Um, and yeah, again, just grateful for the knowledge that we share spiritual stewardship of our families and that we as men and women model our heavenly parents in um, receiving revelation and guidance and direction for our family. And President Nelson says this, I praise that man who deeply respects, respects his wife's ability to receive revelation and treasures her as an equal partner in their marriage. Oh. So it's not just Amen. Bethany thinks this. <laughs> I love you sharing that story, Bethany, a real life family difficult moment story and how you counsel together and um, inspire. And even if one of you had more of a medical background, I think the way God would work is he'd want both of you to study this out, counsel together and receive revelation on the best way to move forward and on equal settings. So I love those practical examples. I love the quote. I'm reminded of elders quorum. Sometimes I don't know what the right vocabulary this is, but um, we were sitting in elders quorum, and I don't want to be critical of anybody in my elders quorum. But you know, one brother said, "Well, I just I just do whatever my wife says. She's always right." We all kind of laughed, and I don't know if that was particularly elevating to her. It just sort of it doesn't feel like what you're teaching us is because it seemed dismissive. Um, and you may have the right vocabulary in our society, but I don't, and we all kind of laugh, but none of us really, it didn't stretch us. We didn't learn. We didn't sort of go through maybe the principles that are in your book that might cause us to be a little uncomfortable as men and maybe women. Well, it's a little bit of an easy way out, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a, it's a funny statement, right? My wife's but it's always also right. It's an easy way out. And so if you're actually supposed to be coming together as partnership, then it takes coming together, which is harder. It's more demanding. Yeah. Um, 
So here's something I've learned um, from our book. Because Bethy and I always write books to help ourselves, right? Like, <laughs> like if we're going to spend all this time and energy, we want to we want to help our marriages and help our families. So, um, John Gottman is one of uh, a marriage expert, and so in reading about healthy marriage, we came across his work a lot. And one of the things he explained is that seventy percent of marriage conflict is unresolvable. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Because you kind of think in your mind, like, if we can just talk it all out. I was thinking about this as far as <laughs> if we can just talk it all out, we'll just all come to the same page. We'll just always agree. And then we'll just like, oh, and we'll get to this harmony place, right? And Dr. Godman's like, no, that's not how it happens. 70% of marriage conflict is unresolvable. And the reason this is important to know is then you can spend your energy, right? Like all of us have a little bit of an energy bank, right? That every day we wake up in the morning, we've got so much energy to be able to put into different things. So if you're spending your energy bank on unresolvable things, then it just makes couples walk away from each other frustrated. Versus if you spend your energy, your emotional capital on things you can resolve, then you as your partner can continue to grow together because you're getting results from your investment. So for example, my husband and I were at the table the other day and we start to kick into one of our 70%, right? We both know the 70%. We've been chewing on this for a decade, right? And we're kicking on it. Kick, 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 kick. And finally I went, whoa, like after, I don't know, three or four minutes, I was like, whoa, we're in the 70% zone. We're in the zone we are never going to resolve. So can we just talk about something else? And it was this moment where I thought was super helpful to me because what we were discussing was quite literally never going to be resolved. So you can spend this intimacy, this feeling of energy with your spouse, this goodwill you feel toward your spouse. You can just let it dissipate because you're beating your head against that wall yet again. Or you can say, actually, what we need to figure out is this and this and this and this. And to me, I just thought, and, and um, Dr. Gottman was very clear. That doesn't mean this marriage isn't healthy. It doesn't mean because you have differences of opinion that you'll never change your mind on, that that doesn't mean healthy. That That's one of those symbols that you're, you're distinct beings, right? I mean, he says, if there's no conflict in a marriage, then one person is subsuming their opinion. There's no such thing as two people who 100% align. And so I thought, what a, what a, his measurement of a healthy marriage is not that you agree, is not that you can solve all conflict, but the measure is actually how respectful you treat each other. So he has said he can predict, I can't remember the number, but some insanely high, like 80% accuracy, whether or not a couple will be divorced in the next five years. And he said it's 100% linked to how respectful they interact with one another. And so for me, equal partnership is one of the key indicators of respect. So if you want a healthy marriage, in fact, here's a great quote for you. Um, Oops, it was on my other page. Let me backtrack here. I'll find it. It says here, temple marriage covenants do not magically bring equality to a partnership. Those covenants commit us to a developmental process of learning and growing together by practice. But equal partnerships are not made in heaven. They're made on earth, one choice at a time, one conversation at a time, one threshold crossing at a time. Elder Bruce and Marie Hafen. Wow. So to me, it's this call to say, even if you're married in the temple, even if you're doing your best to be a righteous Latter-day Saint, even if this should, could be a priority for you, it still takes practice. It still makes choices. 
And I think for me, I like having tools to help me do that. Talk about um, this non-resolved. Um, I think that would resonate with a lot of listeners. Is it best just not to talk about it? Um, is it best to talk about it respectfully? Is it best just to kind of realize this is on resolved space and we both agree that it's unresolved and we kind of know each other feel. So let's just realize that's the reality of our marriage and find other right. ways to connect in the, the common goals that we have underneath this unresolved stuff. Yeah, I would say all of the above. And it kind of depends on what the subject matter is of the topic. So I was um, at a book launch party recently and one of the women was explaining about how, <laughs> in her words, the majority of conflict in their marriage was related to how she chose to load the dishwasher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she comes from the school of thought that you do not rinse dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. Well, I'm kind of in that school of thought. <laughs> Amen. A waste of water. Her husband comes from the school of thought you do rinse and that the proof is when you pull up the dishwasher if there's still stuff on the plates, right? So she said, we have been married for... 10 years and we've been fighting about how I load the dishwasher for 10 years. And finally, we turned around to each other and we said, we're just going to buy a new dishwasher. And with a, I don't know how much the money they invested, she didn't tell me, but like with a couple hundred dollar, $500 investment, all of a sudden they had a dishwasher that even if you don't rinse it, it still cleans off the food and their marriage conflict dissolved, right? So in my mind, there's always different kinds of solutions. Some topics, the solution is just to say, we don't need we don't need to talk about that. Some topics is buy a new dishwasher, right? <laughs> and that will take that but you know, it was stable. Yeah, I wish all of them were that easy to solve. But um, Amen, right? But it was doc, it was Dr. Ty Mansfield who wrote that chapter on on addressing problems and resolving conflict respectfully. And um what I really a gem that I really gained from his chapter on this was that we want to see the problem as the problem, not our partner as the problem, right? And that uh-huh. He says, I'm quoting him, time instilled, when we can see our spouses as our ally and friend rather than as problem themselves, the opposition, it can help us to move in our problem solving. And I I just that for me that was really paradigm shifting. That like I sometimes I see my spouse as the problem, but he's <laughs> not. He's my ally, he's my partner. We're working in this together. But the problem is the problem. And and if we can you know, shift the blame or the focus. Like, I think that's really, really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, MacArthur brought up a minute ago, um, divorce. And I, I think as we've been on this project together, I'm realizing that, you know, for a long time, I think the world and even the church measured marriages by the quality of marriages by divorce rates. Right. But to mm. us, that doesn't fully capture it because a lot of people stay in marriages and are dissatisfied. Right. Um, so we, we, and not even dissatisfied, Bethany, stay in marriages that are not able to grow towards a celestial perspective. Like, right. Like, let's right. be careful about that because it's not just like, oh, this isn't working for me. I'm dissatisfied. But it's literally like a marriage that's not leading to being a, a noble, divine growth, celestial being, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's right. So it's not, um, we're not worried. I mean, it's not that we're not worried about divorce, but it's more we're like we are trying to help marriages not just survive but to thrive and to to reach and aspire for the divine as we you know become like our heavenly parents in this beautiful model of partnership yeah yeah that's 
Um, it's sort of, sort of relieving because we don't talk about marriages in the space of there's unresolved stuff that's part of a healthy marriage. I think most of the general feeling I've felt is that the goal of the marriage is to sort of get on the same page and have everything aligned. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've shared this before at times, my wife and I, when we were dating at BYU, we found we were in different political parties. and. That was 33 years ago, and we're still in different political parties. And it's not like See, that's the that is the perfect example. That it's is not an like, unresolvable. Yeah, topic. it's right. not like we went into that marriage. Maybe we did thought one of us would move in the other person's direction, but we've at after 33 years, we have learned that we're probably going to stay where we are. And we exactly. talk. We so talk about it at times. Energy, like <laughs> you can talk about it fine, but if you spend that emotional energy fighting about it, we don't. And right. we don't, we've got six kids and I've shared this before and some have sort of leaned one way or the other way. And we don't keep score as parents who's sort of, um, what kid is sort of moving our direction yep. or the other direction. That's not the goal of our marriage. In fact, mm-hmm. we look at um, our differences as actually a good thing in this space where we've modeled civility and mm-hmm. um, honest, thoughtful discussion and not um, sort of the negative fear-based stuff. and. So we've tried Absolutely. to model that, be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're not unified politically. We're in a mixed political marriage, and we no longer think that's a bad thing. And so maybe that's just an example of <laughs> these unresolved things that maybe it's actually a good thing they're unresolved because it teaches um, principles where we can be unified as a couple. We can be unified in the gospel. We teach mm-hmm. principles to our kids, and now I've got grandkids. So that's really interesting. I love what you're yeah. t- sharing. Absolutely. And I even think of Richard, thinking of you and your wife together, like think of the expansiveness of your family's understanding of politics, right? Like they have a much wider, more expansive view because they get both of your perspectives and ideas and thoughts and convictions, right? And so I feel like differences can like destroy us or differences can expand us. And, uh, you know, my husband, when I met my husband, um, you know, 18 years ago, uh, we're about ready to celebrate our anniversary. Um, and we're going to go on a 50 mile bike ride this Friday to celebrate. <laughs> That's awesome. um, but, uh, you know, we were very different. We had different faiths. We had different political parties. We had different professional background, like so wow. many differences. And, and he articulated that very early on in our courtship that our differences could destroy us or they could expand us in these infinite, you know, just life enriching ways. And, um, and we've tried to mostly choose that second path. <laughs> we're, 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 we're still we're still striving, but um, I, I do one think of the key um, components of this book is cool. to is, makes people aware you're not trying to make your partner be like you, right? Like if you're trying to remake your partner, that's that's not going to create a situation of thriving for anyone. Mm-hmm. Love- instead, we're trying to be the best version of ourselves, the most highly developed version of ourselves. And, and the most highly developed couple and partnership that we can be. I love that. And men, I think sometimes this is not science-based or fact-based. I think sometimes these kind of books are scary for us because it causes us to look inward and maybe recognize the work we need to do to be a better partner. And I think maybe it's easier for women to read these. And even maybe, I, I don't know if that's true or not. It's kind of an invitation if you're uh, a woman and want to read this, please read it. But if you're a man and think, well, my wife's kind of into this this kind of stuff, she'll read it and tell me what I need to know. I didn't, maybe we men should read stuff like this. And 
and be open to what the what we need to do to um, model um, the doctrine of heavenly parents and equality. I love the idea. And in fact, the practices cannot be done by one person. That's true. So if there's only one spouse here who is supposed to come up with the shared vision of the family. That alone is indicative. There's the a problem, shared right? vision of the family by one. By one, exactly, right? I, and so, but, I mean, I used I to think, say... Richard, I think you're really right, though, Richard. I think even as we were writing this book, we wanted to, to be thoughtful and be very mindful that, you know, like marriage equality, like sometimes that can seem threatening to men. Yeah. That, that, you know, women are frustrated by this false model and we want to change things and... Um, so we tried, and that's why we wanted to collaborate with male therapists and make sure yeah. that this didn't feel like threatening or critical. This was more just an invitation for both partners to feel like, how could we all, how could we both change to become our best selves? And um, just wanted to share one more beautiful thought from Richard Iyer, where he said, um, the thing to remember is that there are two kinds of equality. The first is competitive equality, which keeps score, which harbors resentments and resistance which often defines equality as sameness. The second is synergistic equality, which seeks complementary oneness and both recognizes and relishes compensating differences and which produces outcomes and results that are greater than the sum of its two parts. Wow. And so I, I really like that too. Just um, yeah, that, that the equality and the divine model of heavenly parents that we are, we are focusing on is... Um, we don't want it to be threatening or critical. We want it to be hopeful. Yeah. And I think um, lots of men would appreciate the very tangible things to do there here in our book. So it's not just about like getting in touch with your feelings, which may or may not be comfortable for some people, women too, but there's actually some very tangible, real things. And so one of the things that we learned here is that you need a five to one ratio in good to quote unquote bad. And so, for example, if someone criticizes their partner, then they need to offer five other lovely things they appreciate their partner, because that's the scale that our, our brain balances those things. And so one of the very easy tips in here is, hey, make sure that when you're talking that you're having, you're having awareness of what kind of balance you're offering your partner um, in that. One of the things I also love is about, it talks about celebrating your partner, celebrating things that happen. So the other day, my husband had something really exciting happen um, at work and he came running to tell me. And That's I cool. actually happened to be in a meeting with Bethany. <laughs> but here he is running to tell me his really good, exciting news. And I was torn because I'm, you know, mid-working on a project, yada, yada. And I said to Bethany, hold on. It helps when you have a partner like Bethany, right? Hold on, Bethany, I'll call you right back. And I hopped off the phone and I turned to my partner and I gave like my husband my full attention so that he could be excited in that moment. And it only took like two minutes of him like bouncing around and then he was ready to go back to work. But like the fact that he came to me because he wanted to share the joy and I would turn to that call for attention and we could celebrate together means that that's very, very small thing means that he's walking away from me feeling more unified, that's right? Cool. More loved, more connected um, in our partnership. And then I could call Bethany back, right? But to me, it was like this, oh, I'm from working on this book, I'm actually learning to model some of these behaviors that just little tiny behavior tweaks um, make for a really high impact. Like it's a, it's a small investment, high return behavior. I love, I'm going to ask you a question. I want to, um, I used to think, you know, Zion was sameness. And now I think Zion is being unified. And uh, I think you, um, 
this is a subject I know you can handle. It's maybe not in your book, but you know, there's a lot of people, probably listeners that are connected to this podcast is it's giving them tools to sort of hang into the church, hang on. Um, and they need voices that are sort of thoughtful and have principles to help them, but talk to women. Um, maybe this is true more of younger Latter-day Saint women, but it may be true of all women. It may be true of men who, um, and the subject is just, you know, my chances in society and even in my marriages, equality doesn't quite feel consistent with the institutional church where I, there's a lot of examples, you know, conference where most of the speakers are male and most of the leadership is male. And so I'm sure you have individual conversations with women saying, you know, I, I just can't, it's harder for me to feel equality of an organization that's largely run by men. Um, and uh, what would you say to people that feel that way? And their, their goal is to actually stay in the church, but they just kind of feel muted or they don't feel valued or they can, they've got these wonderful careers where they're able to do things they want to do out in the society, but in the church, they feel just their voices are less valued or their chances to serve are different. So I'm hoping I'm framing that question up. I have a hunch you've um, been asked this question many, many times before, maybe in your own lives, but certainly as you're mentoring other people. But if you want to just run with that. Sure, I'll share. And, and they, those are hard questions and those are very real experiences. And as MacArthur and I do book events and travel, uh, we, we do hear those those hurtful experiences and feelings. Um, but one thing MacArthur and I like to emphasize is that the church is scaffolding. Even our you know prophets and apostles have used that, that our, the church True. is scaffolding. And what's eternal yep, is the family, right? And so we don't have... We don't have stewardship over the church ourselves, but what we do have is stewardship over our families. And if we can practice these eternal principles and these divine models of equality in our families, um, I, I think that that's the most important thing um, to know that that is what's lasting. That's what's most powerful, um, our, our family and our intimate relationships. Um, and then I am hopeful as we do that, that the church will continue to rise to this divine mount this divine model of of partnership too love that bethany uh, MacArthur, what, what would you say macarthur so i just came back from a a book tour um and invariably when i um get done speaking women come up <laughs> and talk and women women um my master's degree was in um communications and some of the research i did was around gender communications and women are connective speakers and so it means i tell you my story you tell me your story so once i've given a fireside or something and i've told some of my story there's always one who want to come up and tell me their stories and i love it because i love being a story collector but this last book tour was interesting because I had several women who came up who expressed the very pain that you're describing. And, and it would made me sad because, well, the pain, it was um there's also resignation. And resignation is actually they talk about in a marriage relationship, but this is true for any relationship. Once someone is resigned to the way things are, they're no longer investing. So think about this for a minute. Like if there's some sort of difficulty in a marriage, and you know your marriage has diff- has problems, but you're just resigned to it, 
you're no longer looking to grow. You're no longer looking to give. You're no longer looking to invest in your marriage. You're just like, well, that's the way it is. So in some ways, it's better to be in pain than to be resigned because at least pain is um, an awareness and a motivation to change. And so I was talking to women who were in this this kind of spectrum of, of awareness to pain to resignation. And I thought to myself that um, I'd read a passage in Nyland McBain's book, Women at Church. And it says in there, if women are not participating, then we are functioning at half capacity. And so recently, I had an opportunity to go in to talk to my stake president about some of um, the things that were happening in our stake. And honestly, I got this model from a book that Bethy and I had worked on. So Bethy and I worked on the Girls Who Choose God series with Desra Book. And this one was about the Bible. And we had 11 stories picked out for to include in our book. We needed one more story from the Bible. And we couldn't decide. We, we tossed around different options and none of, them felt, none of them felt quite right. And so Bethy and I decided to pray and fast and get back together and decide which book, which story we should include in the book. And we get to have that conversation. And I'm feeling bad because I'm like, I got nothing. Nothing came to me. So let's pick one. We're under deadline. We got to go. And Bethany goes, oh no, I was given a vision. And she goes on to say how she was told distinctly to go look up the story of the daughters of Zelephahad. Wow. So I had never heard the story before. Same. I was a seminary graduate. I studied the Old Testament. I had religious classes at BYU. I had never heard of this story before. It was in none of the manuals. I hadn't hadn't either. So (laughs) neither of us have ever heard the story. And she gets told this story. So the story of this is worth talking about in relation to this. There was a family that was traveling through the wilderness. They're about to go to the promised land, brought to arrive, and their father, Zelephahad, dies. Now, according to Jewish law at this time, that meant the daughters were about to be homeless because under Jewish law, girls could not inherit. So five daughters go to Moses and they explain, our father has been righteous, we have been righteous, we have toiled in the desert, we now are coming to the land of milk and honey, and we want a portion of this inheritance to be ours. And Moses said, I'll go talk to God about it. So he did. And in one of my favorite verses in scripture, Moses comes back and says, and God spake, quote, the daughters of Zelophehad speak right. And they changed the law of the land. So I love this story because it shows a few things that when you have an awareness of something being not quite right, that you have the courage and you have the faith to trust your leader to go and say, we need to do something different here. I've got a good idea. And that the leader says, let me talk to God, right? That's the model that that the prophet turns to God and says, what do we do here? And then the prophet has stewardship to say, this is how we're going to change things. And so I love this story for any number of reasons, because in the history of our church, women have often had good ideas. The reason we have the Relief Society, the reason we have the youth program, the reason we have the primary is because a woman had a really good idea. And then she brought it to the church and said, hey, I've, I've got a good idea. And in the case of the Relief Society, then Joseph Smith says, oh, great idea. And God's got even a bigger vision for you. 
And so this like symbiotic idea of women and the church and God all working together means amazing things happen. So if someone brought this up to me, I would tell them the story of the daughters of Zelophehad. I would tell them the power of women speaking up with good ideas. I would tell them the history of what good things have happened when women speak up with good ideas. I would tell them that President Nelson has asked us as women to speak up and contribute good ideas. Our marriages, our relationships, our world, our church need us to not be resigned. We should not be resigned to a situation, right? We should be passionate and engaged and willing and humble to say, I want to participate in this good work. And what's amazing to me is I recently had this conversation, as I mentioned with my stake president, and I told him the story. And I told him that several women in my stake had been hurt by something that happened. And I had also experienced it, but honestly, I'd kind of shrugged it off and been like, all right, whatever. Lost opportunity. I was resigned. <laughs> so I'm calling my own self out here. And then when I heard these four other women talking about the very same thing, I thought, oh, wait a second. This is, this is not, I can't be resigned. And I can't just complain, right? I need to be like the daughters of Zelophehad. So I went into the stake president and I explained the situation to him and what had happened. And I said, I know you're really busy and women have a tendency to apologize. Like, I'm sorry to take up your time. <laughs> but what I said was, I know you're really busy. I would only come and talk to you because I know how important it is. Wow. And then I laid down the experience that I had had that I kind of ignored, just resigned, and then how these other four women had had it. And I said, we can complain or we can work. So I'm here to be a worker. What can we do to do this differently so that half of the population of our stake feels like they belong here? More than half, honestly. And my stake present was wonderful. I'm just really so, moved. I'm really moved. And I have to share one more example too. I mean, just by listening to that, I'm sure you all know how lucky I am to, to partner with MacArthur on these projects because she is invested and passionate about creating change in a very affirming, faithful way. And it's beautiful to see. And I just wanted to share one more story of her doing the same approach. Um, when she took her husband on a tour of the conference center um, years ago, and MacArthur's husband is not of our faith. And uh, this was his first time there. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's a architecturally a beautiful building and he was impressed. And, um, but then he, um, at the end of the tour, he said, like, I didn't see any images of women anywhere in here. Like, is this a boys club? You know, and, and he was kind of being cheeky, but he was also being quite accurate about like what visually what was represented in the conference center. And MacArthur like took that to heart. And she said, okay, if this is the conference center for all of us, is this, we all gather and clearly there's abundance of righteous, valiant, noble women in the scriptures and church history and this beautiful knowledge of heavenly mother. Like we have to change this. And so she, uh, we call her the holy harasser and she went on, she started making calls, contacting people, emails, you did not stop. And, um, until she, um, was able to place the paintings from our girls who choose God, um, stories of women from the Bible, um, that were these beautiful paintings of Eve and like you said, the daughters of Zilifad and uh, Mary and all these really exquisite paintings that Kathy Peterson had created for a book um, hung in the conference center for over a year. And, and we were just so delighted that now girls could come to the conference center and see themselves represented at in this really special gathering place. And then, but she didn't stop there. 
um, then um, on one of our other books, Caitlin Connolly created this piece um, about our heavenly family, and it has our heavenly parents and just just flowing from them, the human family. And it's this really gorgeous piece of art. And um, MacArthur felt like this is so important for us to see, you know, if we do believe like Elder Oaks taught that our, you know, our theology begins with heavenly parents, we need to represent that. And so um, she did her holy harassing and her her work and pray and um, in her faithful, devoted way. And um, now that painting, uh, this 12 foot, just gigantic painting hangs on Temple Square in the Church History Museum. Wow. And so as families go there, they ascend these stairs and you have this very striking encounter with our heavenly parents and it's it's beautiful and so i'm grateful that macarthur models that that approach of um we can create change to reflect our true doctrine and our beautiful theology that we've been given well that was a terrific segment um i i love these actual examples i've always felt like um it's the circle of influence. So you went to your stake president. That's you can talk to your stake president. Any member can request a meeting with their stake president. It's a little harder to request a meeting with the prophet. Um, yeah, if we're an apostle, we can request a meeting with the prophet. But I think yeah. the principle is we do what we can in our circle of influence. So if you're saying, if you're listening, you know, well, I'm not Bethany, I'm not MacArthur, I'm not a noted author. Um, don't neither were we when we did all this. <laughs> don't when get started. Just take the gifts you have and do what you can in your space. Um, and don't feel like I've got to become somebody else to make a difference. Be you and take your gifts. You may never be an author. You may never um, have a bunch of have degrees and sort of that academic um, way to have standing. Take what you have and your gifts and in your circle of influence and your feeling and share your voice and maybe it's okay to be a holy what did you call that term a holy a holy harasser MacArthur is a harasser i just added the holy to make her sound better (laughs) we just my wife and i just spent time in israel and jesus did a fair amount of that so Mm. um Mm -hmm. i think that oh see i'm being like jesus let's let's call that right like Um, right and so i think you have to i love that i love that invitation richard that and that is the essence of being in the image of our heavenly parents, right? Is that we all have these seeds of divinity within us. And we all use those different, you know, buds of divinity to germinate and to offer our gifts to the world in very different ways. And it's a beautiful collective process of, you know, creating the beloved community and creating Zion and, and you know, creating our path back to heavenly parents. Um, so, yes, we can all be a part of this work together. I love your feelings about pain. Um, I love that you validate pain as these women came up to you. And I think that's a great principle of ministering. If Even if we don't feel the same pain, to validate other people's pain and, and actually Can to I turn that as a positive, you talked then as a positive thing. Yeah. And here's um, one thought on that. So President Nelson gave this list of um, how any prejudice based on these indicators is offensive to our maker. And gender was one of those, right? We also know that to be empathetic is a godlike characteristic. So Second Corinthians talks to us about God comforts us so we may comfort others. And so recently I have seen some people's reaction to hearing of women's pain as to say, this doesn't exist yeah. or this is trivial. Or this isn't important. Why are you getting fussed about this? Yeah. 
And when I saw this, I was really baffled because I have never experienced a miscarriage, but I would never tell someone who has that their pain is not real. Simply because I have not experienced it does not mean it's not real. So if President Nelson has given us this list, prejudice because of these things, that means prejudice exists. The prophet doesn't warn us about something that doesn't exist. Prejudice exists. And if it exists, it means pain exists. And is my reaction as a disciple of Jesus Christ to seeing someone in pain, is my reaction to downplay that, trivialize it, pretend it doesn't matter, say, I haven't experienced it, so it must not matter. I've never had that experience. My leader has never said that to me. I've never been through that. Or as a disciple of Jesus Christ, when faced with pain, do we say, God comforts me so I can comfort others? Wow. What choice do we make? Well, listeners, I start these podcasts and um, I sometimes, to be honest, it takes just emotional capital to be present. And we do so many of these. I have a little anxiety before a podcast starts and then we start talking and it just my spirit is just filled um almost every time with guests with new insights in the spirit i feel on the insights and um a couple you know i don't want to be the expert in this space of elevating women's voices but i as a YSA bishop i shared this before we went to some training and um, usually in ward council, women talk about women issues and men talk about men issues. But the counsel I received was ask the Release Society president for an input on elders quorum issues. And so um, I thought, well, that's a good idea. So we were we were talking about a pretty complex elders quorum issue. And I asked, it wasn't just like what treats the elders should have for <laughs> the elders quorum barbecue. That would be sort of dismissive to invite the women to, to comment on that. But it was a real meaty issue. And the Relief Society president was kind of surprised that I asked her input because she's kind of in the box of stewardship over women. But a ward council and a husband and wife council means we get out of these boxes. And she had incredible insights. And it helped to solve a pretty significant elders quorum issue. And I was grateful for that counsel I received. So there's a principle there that um, it helped me be better as I and also learned that I should always speak last. And as a bishop, you kind of have this um, standing where you, if you're going to plant your, plant your flag first in a ward council meeting with your opinion, you might mute everybody else's feelings <laughs> and you might not have as good a decision um, made. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is follow the prophet. And um, I agree with that, but sometimes it feels like that's the end um, and I think that's sometimes the means to then address some of the things the prophet's talking about, like you just talked about, about e gender equality. And so I'd love a fifth Sunday on, you know, we're going to talk about following the prophet by doing better on gender equality. <laughs> and so it's sort of this, I don't know what a verb is. I'm not very good at English. It's sort of instead of this final endpoint, it's a means to then create change and Sometimes Catalyst. those conversations are a little uncomfortable versus what I would call sometimes just the typical answers. It's the last days we got to follow the prophet, um, you know, and it doesn't cause us to look inward sometimes to the changes we need to make. 
to follow the prophet and what he's teaching on some of these more important and some of these very important subjects. So right. I'm and the turning... prophet isn't trying to lead us to himself. The prophet we're following <laughs> to, to, to be led to beautiful truths and ideals and restoration, you know, all these gospel glorious insights, right? So we're, that's, it's not, he is a so means to an end, not the means. Right, right, absolutely. So he's the means, not the end. And right, so I, I do love, let's follow the prophet's invitation yeah. to um, embrace these higher laws and these better models. And absolutely. And I think you could do a great fifth Sunday lesson on using Elder Soros's talk on equal partnership. Um, and that could open up all sorts of great conversations on this topic and others. And I want to be in your ward, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Keep I think sharing. here's the thing is it's very, very easy to think we're not part of the problem. And so even before Bethany and I started re- started researching and reading this book, I would have said I had an equitable marriage. I would have said, yeah, we're, we're good here. And then in reading this book, it was interesting to me to see the number of ways I was not acting as an equal partner. I was not stepping up to being and contributing as an equal partner. So I think um, having, we have to have a conversation about um Gender equality. We have to have a part, we have to have a conversation that's divine. This is not something that the world is imposing on us. This is not a fad or a trend. This is actually aligning ourselves with heaven. That's an important part of this. And then looking at truly examining the ways that we contribute or don't contribute. And so, one of the very easy um, research things that has come out recently, they did a study at BYU that was modeling a study at Yale. And it was, how often do men and women speak in group settings? So one of my guy friends read this and he said, I started paying attention. I started clocking myself right, and saying, like, look around this room or look around in this group project. You know, the five of us are working on a group project. How often are men putting forth their ideas than women putting forth ideas. And he took it upon himself to start being one aware and then to say, hey, we haven't heard from you, sister so-and-so, and really asking for people to participate. And I thought it's good for us to be able to take these big concepts like gender equality, understand where they're coming from, divine, this is coming from God, and at the same time, then boiling it down to really tangible things that we can do differently. Wow. You know, you younger Latter-day Saints, I just am grateful for the role models of uh, MacArthur and Bethany and others. And um, if you're kind of wondering if there's a place for you, I just, I have really a lot of hope that we're at a good point in our church where we can live these higher laws that you talk about a model, a better model. Um, and we're just, it's an ongoing restoration, but I just feel like we need you with us as the part of it. Have I kind of felt my younger Latter-day Saint friends are going to get us to the finish line on some of these um, challenges we face as a church? That doesn't mean I know God's will or I'm a leader of the church. I just sense in a couple of spaces, we're not at the finish line and we're not designed. Well, so here's an example for you going along with that. The Proclamation of the Family came out in 1995. I was 21. That meant that all of my dating experience before then and much of my dating experience after that was heavily influenced by doctrines that were taught about inequality. Yeah. Before that got clarified. 
the young people that you're talking to were born in the 90s yeah, <laughs> or maybe even later. And so they have a chance to move forward without carrying the, the false teachings that some of us carried, the false traditions. And that long view is really helpful. Um, you've had some of these. I love your book. I love that you, um, it's collaborative. You, you have some of my favorite people. Um, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, she's been on the podcast. Dr. Julie Hanks, she's been on the podcast. Dr. Ty Mansfield, been on the podcast. Who is your fourth? Um, your fourth? Jeff and Jody Stewart. So okay. Jeff Stewart is a, a marriage and family therapist, but he had the idea where he came to us and said, almost everything I've learned about equality in marriage, I've learned with my wife. I mean, I have a degree in this, but like the practice is the everyday cool. work. And so can I team write these chapters with my wife? And we thought that was glorious. What a fabulous idea to say, let's let's literally model what we're talking about here. So they teamed up together to do the their their set of chapters. Um, it's sometimes and I would encourage you to invite him on their invite them on your podcast too. They, I just did a, a discussion with them, and they have so many insights into creating meaningful, powerful relationships. Um, really, really extraordinary people. Um, and can I just share one last thought too? Is um, yes, when you were saying Richard that you're hopeful that the young people will get us over, you know, get us towards Zion, towards heaven, and you're kind to consider MacArthur and I young. We're we're not, but um, <laughs> but I felt that way too when um, I was just in the temple dedication on Sunday here in Richmond. And, you know, uh, at the end of the temple dedication, uh, we stand and we sing the spirit of God. And, you know, it's such a powerful hymn. And But the lines in there that really struck my heart that said, um, the knowledge and power of God are expanding. The veil of, over the earth is beginning to burst. And it was just, to wow. me, it was just a very visible idea of just like light knowledge, more truth, more, like we're kind of shattering and bursting false paradigms and understandings and limited views. And it's like, just, it's becoming fuller and bigger. And and um, it was an exciting feeling like, yes, let's stay with us. Keep moving forward. Let's Let's be part of this ongoing restoration together. Yeah. Wow. And use the pain as a motivator. Lean into that pain. I love, um, I love that. Tell our listeners the full name of your book again and where to get it. And listeners will put in the show notes the website that they're going to reference. And it's as we're recording this, the Amazon link is not available. But once it is, I'll go back in the show notes. So at some point, you may be listening and it's there. You may be listening and it's not there, but it'll eventually be there. But go ahead and just give us that information. It's the title is In the Image of Our Heavenly Parents, a couple's guide to creating a more divine marriage. And thank you so much for letting us share our writing journey and our marriage journeys and uh, just our, our faith journeys w- with you. It's been a really rich conversation. Well, thank you. Um, so, listeners, I'm really glad to have MacArthur and Bethany on the podcast for their work. Um, the vision it creates, the hopes, the principles to bring us together. Um, just grateful. This is not a one-off for them. This is like the eighth book they've done together. Um, so thank you. Uh, many of those books are at Desert Book. Please check them out. They're kind of in this general space. Um, the artwork on some of those books is just terrific that I've seen. And um, just thank you from all of our listeners for the work you're doing. It's very much pioneering and very much needed, but it also helps other people do similar work and realizes that there's voices in this space and 
So just grateful to have you both on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, Richard. All right, listeners. Thank you. We will sign off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.